Linux OTC. Welcome to episode four. We're your hosts. I'm Bill. I'm Norbert. And I'm Leo. So, self-hosting, who's doing it, why are we doing it, what are we doing? I've been doing it for about a week. And that's it? That's all? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's why I suggested the topic. And uh, during that week, I managed to have a Nextcloud oh, instance yeah, up. yeah, yeah. And I decided to go, I, I was either going, with, uh, going to choose Debian or NixOS, and since I've been really intrigued by NixOS these past months, I just decided to go with that. And it's really easy because I didn't even have to touch Docker or, or any containerization because everything I could just do with the, the Nix configuration. Uh, NixOS has very, uh, but basically everything I needed I could configure in Nix and even Nginx as well as the HTTPS via Let's Encrypt. Uh, all of that in NixConfig. I wrote that, I rebuilt the system, I rebooted it, and everything was just working. So I'm very, I'm very amazed by Nix. So you're running oh, Nextcloud on bare metal. Yep. On NexOS. Yep. You've you got gave it exposed me the idea to the to internet. You gave me the idea to, to try that because uh, you said you're also use, you're running it on Debian, but not with, in Docker, as far as I remember. Uh, it's running on Ubuntu, but not in Docker. No. I do have one in Docker just to play around with so that I can see. So how did you? How are you managing the static IP problem? Did you get a... Well, the trick is that I don't. I I have ended up using the, a, one of these dynamic DNS providers that uh, point a domain to my IP, and every time it changes, it just points to the new IP. Using DuckDNS or... No. DuckDNS is a service out there. Okay, so th for those that don't know, um, if you're going to serve something from home and you want it to be internet-facing, you've got a couple of options. The most, Well, the most popular option is to have a static IP address, meaning your IP address does not change. The other option uh, along these lines is a what's called dynamic DNS, meaning that, okay, for first off, when way back in the day, sit down, kids, story time. Way back in the day, when TCP/IP was was invented, um, the the powers to be at the time saw the future, and they knew that IP version four, in all of its glory, was not perfect because it's it's four three digit numbers, and that you've got a lot of possible combinations of four three-digit numbers, but not an infinite number. Yeah, because they're 8-bit, right? So uh, you end up with a 32-bit um, space total. Right. So what do we do? Well, let's, uh, let's invent this thing. We'll call it DHCP. And what it basically does is every time your router restarts, it might get a new IP address. That way, if an IP address is not being used, it's free for the rest of the internet to use. And that's just fine for Joe and Jill six-pack that just want to watch 
Netflix videos, but for somebody that wants to serve something to the internet, that's not going to work because imagine, imagine you call the fire department and you tell them my address is, I don't know, 205 70 50 117 or something like that. And then they leave the fire station halfway to your house. You, your router restarts and you've got a different IP address. And now, now that fire department's getting routed. This is a terrible analogy, <laughs> but the point I'm trying to get at is that when you have dynamic host names, your IP address could change. And then people that are trying to get to your website are not going to be able to do that because DNS does not know where to send the traffic, where to route the traffic to. Static IP addresses solves this problem by basically just having a single IP address assigned to your router, and then you never have to worry about no matter how many times you restart the router. And that's that's that what you traffic. did, right, Bill? Yeah, that's what I did. That was that was because dynamic DNS is fine, but if I was going to have the website running here in the house. Uh, and people were going to be connecting to that to get, you know, handshake to get, you know, the, the download and everything. You do have this really slim possibility of like there being a few minutes in between the router restarting, getting another IP address, and then whatever cron job is reaching out to a DNS provider to update the records, you know, you, you could in theory run into a problem like that. So just to avoid it altogether, I just, paid the extra $13 a month and got a static IP address and I just everything just works. I've I've accepted yeah. that I'm not an enterprise. Uh so I accept my fate and uh if I need a dynamic di- DNS, uh, I would just set it to um update. Well, I used to set it to update every maybe 30 minutes or an hour or something like that cuz I, I used yeah. uh, afraid.org for their dynamic DNS and uh they made it really really easy. They um they told you what to do to yeah. to reach out and update that um, that IP address, which just happens, by the way. You contact afraid.org with a little bit of information, and then it will update uh, on your behalf. Um, and that's that's pretty much it, which is really kind of nice uh, when you know you're yeah you're on a dynamic IP address, and that might change when you reboot next time. Right. But well done, Norbert. That's Next cloud on bare metal right off the right off the bat. That's uh I mostly impressive. attribute this success to Nix because when I looked at the tutorial for Debian how to get next cloud on bare metal on Debian, you have to manually install and configure a bunch of dependencies. Nix yeah. just you just say service does next cloud that enable equals true and then you set some parameters which which version you of it would you want to use. Where's the what directory you want to use as the home for Nextcloud, where it stores everything, and you also need a SQL database. So I, I just uh, configured Postgres for it, which was recommended, as well as Nginx, which was recommended. And it when it starts up, it just reaches out to Let's, in, Let's Encrypt and it fetches a certificate, uh, which is which is kind of amazing that it just works like that. A simple it just aspect. sounds. An awful lot like Docker Compose, you know, Docker Compose for the operating system. Everything's yeah. declared up front, and then it just works. That I do want slick. to figure out how to use Docker as well, because because of basically yeah. that's the easiest way to, to run everything. But because I decided to go with Nix, 
and Nyx has basically everything and more it's in, worth their, learning. in their repos. Yeah, I, I was curious to see how far I can go without uh, using Docker or anything similar. Well, the thing about Docker is you can have all these different services running on one machine, and you know your only limitation at that point is your imagination. Yeah, well, I mean the the resources of that machine. No, you know, because just your all, imagination. You can get crafty just, with those resources, okay. man. <laughs> yeah, and and you know you just wait in line. Uh, well, that's the idea, right? I mean, yeah. do you really need the file right now? <laughs> yeah, this is I mean, a sixth generation Intel NUC, and uh, it's so it's a sixth generation i7 CPU with uh, four cores, eight threads, as far as I know. And the first thing when I got the thing was to upgrade the RAM from 8 to 16, because I didn't really want to take any chances. I'm using nowhere near that much, not even 8. Oh, if you got and, 16 gigs, yeah. you're golden for yeah, Docker. Yeah. I, I, Docker also, I, mean. I also gave it 16 gigs of swap, because I assumed I wouldn't need it because of how much RAM it has. But just to be sure, mm. if I ever want to like move large files or something, maybe swap would be useful. Learn the next thing I want you to learn. Go and learn is Nginx Proxy Manager, at which it, which itself is a Docker container, and then uh, learn how to make self-signed certificates. Because when you put something behind, let's say you want to run a bunch of uh, a bunch of services on one machine, and they're all in Docker containers, they're all going to have they're all going to be listening on uh, on a different port number. Yeah, and you can and you can change that. You- as far as I know, if you want to run a web server, so you want to, it to be accessible on the browser, it has to be port 443, which is the HTTPS well, port. Okay, but if you're using a proxy manager, there's some yeah. flexibility there because you can, if you're using a self-signed certificate, you can use any port you want and the Nginx proxy manager will trust that certificate and then it will proxy that off to port 443 and then it see you need a self-signed certificate between the proxy manager and the service that you're running and then from nginx proxy manager it's got its own mechanism for creating or going out and getting and then uh keeping up to date your let's encrypt certificates and you this was a deep rabbit hole when i decided to start but it's a lot deeper than i thought it's it's worth just just not working as a whole or yeah, I mean, you learn these things one at a time, though. I felt or so, I felt so accomplished when I got NixOS set up and running. Yeah, I mean, and rightly now so. It's that's that's probably nothing compared to networking. That's a piece of it. So you're you're well, you're in the right realm, man. But yeah, you could also just use Caddy, which is uh, yeah. leagues more simple than Nginx. Uh, yeah, I'm just a couple commands will get that reverse proxy done for you for each service that you want to run. I also had that, good, good things about traffic, which is another reverse proxy. It'll do that, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think far, uh, what I've heard for, it plays really well with uh, containers. Yeah, for well, uh, have than, you tried the much. have you tried the GUI, the Nginx proxy manager GUI? No, because I, I, that, I just told uh, Nextcloud to set up its own uh, Nginx uh, thing mod- module. Or is, I wanna, it, is it the I other wanna, way around? Okay, for now I just wanted to have. Next cloud accessible. The next step is probably trying to figure out how I can run something else other than next cloud simultaneously and be able to access both. So here's Nginx Proxy Manager. Once you set it up, you've got a you've got a login, and as you can see, it's 
connecting to a specific port number and a local IP address. I probably share way too much. You sign in. Now, here is my hosts. These are all the things that are running behind the proxy manager, and they've all got a different port number. Mm. But then this handles all of the certificates, too. Here's all the certificates. And you've got the aliases and the uh, somewhere on here is right here is mintcast.org and then www.mintcast. And this is handling all of the SSL stuff automatically. And all I've got to all I've got to do. Well, I mean, this just this once you get this set up, it's brainless. And to add one, you bring down this. And if you got the self-signed certificate, HTTPS, you put in the uh, host name. And then it generates the certificate right here. I mean, this is to me, it's simple, but I don't know. Yeah, well, how many times? Like, how many times did it take you to set that up to get it right? Well, um, simple because you've played hmm. with it, right? Well, I mean, but when I first started trying to set this up, I really didn't understand the concept. Oh, right, of, and and that's what I mean. That that's what that's exactly you know, what I mean. All I'm saying is that. Um, Simple to you now was not simple to you the first time you tried it. Yeah. So yeah, you do have to wrap your head around a few concepts that maybe are not things you're used to thinking. A lot about. of networking no. concept. The uh, the eight yeah, bit networking. The eight bit segments of that thirty two bit yeah. IPv four address are uh, huge. A huge part yeah. of what's going on. Uh, then understanding ports and what they do and why they work the way they work. Uh, it's also a huge undertaking. Can you just slap IP addresses that you had someone on Google help you figure out? Sure. Understanding <laughs> them, though. Understanding what you're doing when you're checking those yeah. boxes and actually typing in those IP addresses, though, is something that I think you have to have uh, before you end up a uh, admin ninja. You know, you set that stuff up. So there's a lot. there's a lot to go back and learn is what I'm getting at. And I think that's what um, your your front end uh, actually kind of masks a lot of the difficulty. Uh, and, and Caddy oh, does as well. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a whole lot less to know when you're setting up something like that um, than if you were doing it from scratch. You know, you just apt install Nginx and have at it. Uh, a little different, a little harder. A little bit different. It's a little, it's a little more hands-on. Yep. So do make um, install something? Yeah, we're not doing that. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on links from scratch. Yeah, not so at all. Not for a server anyway. I want I want Ubuntu or I want Red Hat or Rocky or Alma or one of these guys um, handling all of that stuff. Or in my case, Docker itself. I'll just use uh, the Docker devs that they provide and use their newest Compose, which is written in Go, which is really nice because the uh, when you're pulling down containers, uh, it's prettier. I like that because, you know, I'm a command line junkie. So uh, yeah. I like I like pretty in the command line. So, Bill, you have this one instance of the the Nginx VS proxy running on one of the machines, and it can serve services from all the all the various machines on the LAN. To, to the... grossly oversimplify it. Okay. Uh, so I don't need to have a VS proxy running on multiple machines if I run stuff on no, multiple machines. Just need one. No. The, yeah, okay. because with the re- reverse proxy sitting on this machine, all the yeah, traffic so... is coming through on this machine goes through this reverse proxy. It sees, you know, and it's connected to all these other machines on all these different ports that they're on and it's saying okay this person this this traffic wants to connect to mintcast.org so it sends it over here yeah to that ip and that port and at that point it just arrives hopefully yeah and you got you've got tls 
from end to end. I mean, by the time it hits, I've actually got everything behind. I mean, I'm I'm kind of double proxied because I've also got it all behind so Cloudflare too. So what's open to the internet from all of that is the, just the proxy itself. Correct. Yeah. The only thing that's directly connected to the outside world is the reverse proxy, and it is the only thing that's got a port forwarded to, directly to it. And that's port 80 and 443, right? Correct. Okay, it makes sense now. Yeah. And then you also have a SSL within the network between the machines on the LAN. That's, so that, I that's, use OpenSSL. I was uh, a bit surprised by. See, that's the thing you got to go learn how to do because you generate, you've got one line where you tell it, make me a certificate um, for, and it's going to ask you questions just like CertBot does. Not just like, but it asks you some questions and then it generates the certificate and then the, um, the key file. And I've either tried, goes into I tried that when I was trying to set up uh, something else other than Let's, Let's Encrypt. I used OpenSSL to generate a private and public key, and from that, it was something called a SCR, I, I think, the... a certificate uh, request something. Yeah, it's they've got a command. They got a, a special command. I can't remember what it's called, but it uh, generates both the key and the certificate, puts them in like slash. Etsy slash uh, SSL slash something or other. And then what you've got CSR to do is... Certificate Signing Request, CSR. Um, what you've got to do then is when you got to go to your virtual host file that's in the uh, sites, not sites available, sites activated for the slash Etsy slash Apache 2 slash whatever, um, and add in SSL engine on, I'll tell you what, go to, uh, digital ocean. They've got some of the best tutorials for setting this stuff up. They've even got the command that you can literally copy and paste. And the cool thing is you're, you, in that command, you tell it how long you want the certificate to last for. So you can literally create 10 year self-signed certificates and then put that behind the self, the, uh, proxy and never worry about that again. And then the proxy just updates the Let's Encrypt stuff automatically. But the, let's, the, let, stuff just, but the Let's Encrypt stuff only lasts 90 days. I don't think they'll let you change that. No, but the the uh, proxy manager's got right. a mechanism to, to run that. Probably just CertBot. Mm -hmm. But it keeps that up to date automatically. But this, the, the self-signed certificate that you generate between your service and the reverse proxy... You can set that. You can tell that to last for 10 years if you want to. So to get back to the original question, which was, what are you running? Um, ignore the proxy for a moment. What okay. are you running? Okay. This machine has... Boy, I got to bring it up just to... I think you will be hearing okay. a lot from me, Bill, when I decide to, to set up reverse proxy. Because you seem to... No, we're supposed to ignore the reverse proxy. We're supposed to ignore <laughs> yeah. that so Bill can tell us yeah. what well, he's there, running. There is a third option for setting this up. Oh, no, you we're talking about let, more. <laughs> you can, if you don't mind, if you don't mind We'll get there, like, folks. Poking, we'll get there. Yeah. We'll tell you what we're running. Okay. I was just going to say, if you don't mind poking more holes in your firewall, you can just proxy it off to um, Cloudflare or something like that. That's another option. Anyway. Um, so I've got two pies down here. 
One's running the 3ftpodcast.org, the 3 Fat Truckers uh, website. One is running Piehole. Um, this machine, the same machine that's got the proxy manager on it, is running Audio Bookshelf, which is uh, kind of a audiobook solution that I can connect to with my phone and listen to audiobooks on my own server. Um, it's running Jellyfin. And this has got three 12 terabyte Iron Wolf NAS drives in it that are on a ZFS mirror that's serving up to my Jellyfin. That's um, got roughly, I don't know, 800 movies, 800 TV shows, whatnot. And you've paid for all of these, surely. Uh, the, these are 100. I, you know, yeah, let's move it on. Um, <laughs> this machine's got. Mintcast.org. Um, you can't see it on camera, but I've got a Rock Pro 64 right here that's running the web the website for this show, uh, LinuxOTC.org. This machine is running Nextcloud for myself and uh, Mintcast and Linux OTC. Uh, this this has also got a ZFS mirror in it, but it's not anywhere near as big. It's two two terabyte Iron Wolf drives. Uh, and then I've got a Pi Zero that's actually running a little blog site of mine that uh, I just throw stuff on there sometimes, but every single one of these things is exposed to the wider internet. Oh, and I've got a, a Collabora server running in a Docker container on this machine, which gives us the document server capabilities in Nextcloud, um, which works better than just using the built-in default thing. Yeah, it's the same functionality, except it's set up more for the enterprise because it allows you to have more people connected to it. It's you actually running your own document server, um, which is also a Docker container. All of these things, basically, with the exception of the websites, are running in Docker containers. And uh, I've got a container on this machine called uh, Lighthouse. No, Watchtower called watchtower and what watchtower does is it keeps track of uh all of your containers it checks for updates and if there are updates it pulls the updated image and uh and you named that server jimmy right because <laughs> all along the watchtower man uh yeah <laughs> um and it elegantly shuts them down restarts them and it's kind of a set it and forget it and this stuff just stuff all just hums along i've not had a single problem and most of these with the exception of the audio bookshelf most of this stuff has been running for about a year and a half pretty good yeah uh, i've got a i've got a few things i have to think about it because i'm not sitting right next to it i have a um i have it all stacked up on a shelf next to next to the modem uh and my router and everything else so uh let's see i've got a um three four terabyte drive NAS that uh, two of those disks are running Plex, uh, similar to you, Bill, and your Jellyfin. Um, and then I've got one four terabyte drive uh, that is um, that Nextcloud is using. It's what I use to uh, drop all the files, right? Like all the audio, all the video, all the everything for any show that I do. It all goes over there for, for backup purposes. Um, then I've got just a little cron job that'll rsync that four terabyte disk to an external four terabyte disk just over USB. Uh, I'm not too worried about the speed. That happens every night 
So any file I've added to it gets replicated overnight. Um, so, you know, if something crazy happens to one of those disks, I still have a good copy. Um, I'm not a huge fan uh, of doing RAID or anything that requires more than one disk at a time. I know lots of folks are huge advocates for that because it mirrors and it stripes and it uh, has parity and all of that. Yeah, well, when one disk goes, you kind of have to replace it, like, soon, especially if you're in a, a situation where you're doing... Uh, Bill, you mentioned like three discs in a mirror. Um, yeah. There's, there's got to be some kind of striping going on uh, between those two, because I suppose it'd be something like something akin to ZFS's or um, uh, TrueNAS's version of RAID five, like ZFS level whatever. Um, it's keeping a. It's it's literally just a ZFS mirror. It's keeping a cache on an SSD that's in there, and that it just it literally. It appears to my untrained eye, I guess you could say, that it is a bit-for-bit copy on each one of these drives. I suppose it is. Oh, wait, wait. So what you're saying is that you have three disks with the same exact data on all three. Correct. Oh, then, okay, right, okay. Not a backup. I I, I don't consider it a backup, but it means that, number one, it improves the throughput. So... I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I could literally have hundreds of people connected to that jellyfin instance and it won't slow down oh it'll the, be your cpu at that point that that's yeah, gonna be well, yeah uh, but it's got quick sync and all that stuff i mean it 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 just flies i don't know that i'll ever that's get really cool to push um, it. Uh, yeah. anytime i've ever heard anybody push for any type of raid it's never been that conservative which is i think a good thing if you're going to be doing raid because uh, if one of those discs dies, then uh, you're not really in the same boat that you would be no, if you were on you, like you. a two disc mirror or something like that. Um, if if you're on a two disc mirror, you lose one disc, then then you have no redundancy. There's there's nothing back Correct. there uh, unless you back it up, right? Um, but anyway, uh, when I hear people talk about RAID, I never really hear about backups, and uh, I never really hear about what their plan is because a lot of times they're talking about huge discs like twelve terabytes, like you are, Bill, um, yeah. and those aren't cheap. So when you need to replace them, especially when you're in some kind of uh, RAID 5, RAID 6, whatever uh, ZFS does um, that's better than that, um, then you're you're really up a creek. You're really in a, in a pickle uh, because if you don't replace those disks, uh, you are in a degraded state, which means that everything is slower. And if another disk dies, um, then you're also really in a pickle. Um, and when people buy discs, they buy them all at once, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. And then and these, a lot of times these NAS you... drives are not cheap either. Right. That's and... why I, I I wanted to avoid those complicated Z RAID yeah. setups where you've got this weird I can't even I can't even wrap my head around how it works because you can basically have whereas right now I've really only got Twelve terabytes of addressable space. You're you're doing it right. You're doing, I think, yeah. the only way that I'd be comfortable doing any kind of raid. Yeah. Um. So that's that's really good. But my my last point on that was, uh, everybody bring everybody buys. Well, most people when they buy a bunch of storage, buy it at the same time from the same manufacturer, usually from the same store. Um. And that's the same lot. So if there's something wrong with the hard disk, like something physically mechanically wrong with that hard disk, there's a good chance that the entire lot is going to be uh, have the same type of flaw so when one goes another might go 
Uh, and That's the unfortunate reality of it. It's you not know? though. And you don't have to do that. You can you can buy one disc at the same size from a different store. From uh right there, there are ways that you can get around that particular issue, and I'm not saying that that's a super common issue. I'm just saying everybody, when you start dealing with uh with with hosting your own stuff, you realize very quickly that when it rains, it pours. It's never <laughs> yeah. just one thing that goes wrong. It's always it, it things come in pairs, man. Weird stuff always happens in pairs, and. Anyway, so all, all I'm all I'm getting at is, uh, you know, do your homework, be prepared for stuff yes. like that. So anyway, and, uh, so and do backups. Oh God, do backups. And so Plex and NextCloud are on. Very, on sorry, I just oh, wanted to say this is all very intriguing to me because when I decided to Salesforce, I also looked into RAID. And don't do it. Don't know, do it yeah, unless so, okay, you have so, extra discs on hand. Don't do it. Yeah. So as far as I know, RAID one is it RAID? No, RAID one is yeah, no, when you right. have. Two discs and you just mirror them. Raid one, and yes. Ra and raid zero is when you, you can strand consider the, data. the number. The number co corresponds directly to the number of drives that you can lose. Okay. So mm, raid one. No, raid five. You definitely you... can't lose five discs because you don't need. You well, don't even okay. need five discs uh, to do raid five. I've never used raid five. It was it was great for a while. What? So what doesn't what's uh, I don't really want to set up where a disc loses its individuality. What I mean is that if I, I want mm. to have two two disks with the same data, and I just I can just take one and use it in a in a case where I only want to use one, and then just sync sync them later if if anything changes. So what you are describing, well, Leo, the cron job, the the mm -hmm. rsync R solution that that sounds a lot more up my alley than than yeah. the raid. Because here's the deal, right? Like I don't have to buy two similar speed disks to do this, like you do with uh, Mirror. If you buy a fast RAID uh, NAS disk and then a slow NAS disk, then your Mirror will run at the slowest NAS disk. I, this is another reason I don't like using RAID because you're you're bound well, by what you, you buy. You got some caching that goes on with CFS. Okay, with the hun with, sure, but I I think you're if you're moving large files. You're gonna still be in that same situation, and I move um, eight, four, and ten gig files quite often. And there's yeah. not—I don't think there's enough cash to to handle that many files right. without without having to drop down to just disk speed. So this has got sixty-four gigs of RAM in it, which means I can plow a ten gig movie onto this thing at just the speed of RAM. And then it sits in that. Well, it sits at, in at that the speed cache. of one gig. Well, <laughs> at the speed of your network, right? <laughs> the speed of, yeah. Whatever I can push through my category eight cable through these switches, you know, to get from one machine to the other. But then it goes the human facing, uh, impactful process is it going on to RAM and into the into the cache that ZFS uses, and then the writing, the actual writing process, is going on secondary to that. So when you do caching like that, um, you're, you're, I guess, kind of in a situation where if you lose power, what's in the cache is gone. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. So there are trade-offs. I, mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I agree with you, and that is, it, it would be faster. Um, and as a matter of fact, you can, you can delay writing so that you continue to have fast speeds, yeah. at least perceived fast speeds because this is something that happens in linux all of the time and it's one of my biggest pet peeves you know when you write a flash drive in linux and then it says it's done and then you pull it 
and then half the data is not there yet. It's the same reasoning that that data is not there, that you corrupted that drive because you pulled it before all the data was written to the disk because the user-facing information that you see straight up told you that it was done, but it was not done. You have to flush the caches before you pull that disk. And that's what, you know, safely remove or whatever. But here's the thing. It takes so long after you hit that. It was a mount. Yes, but but here's the thing, right? Like, um, I mean, I, I grew up, uh, I, I learned my admin chops on Windows disks. And you know what you can do when you write a flash drive on Windows? Pull it immediately. There is no caching. And this got me into the habit of screwing myself in Linux because I thought Linux would be just as smart, if not smarter. But it turns out in this situation, you have to take an additional step. The, the safely remove is imperative so yeah, anyway, yeah. that frustration of caching would be compounded well. when you have ten gig movies in cache. That movie ain't there. Whenever if if you lose power, something like that happens or whatever. But it's still on the other end where I was sending it from. Sure, it's, sure. I mean, but you and you can you can tune all these things well, if you, you want less cache. You say and that, more Bill, write. but uh, you know, I I do still have that ISO that I was writing to that flash drive that was corrupted when I pulled it early. That is that I don't. That's not really the. Uh, the issue that I'm getting at, it's more just a frustration of losing the data in transit when the user-facing thing told you it was fine, told you it was yeah. done, and and then it wasn't. So you don't have all the information. Um, I would be curious what it would take to learn how long it takes TrueNAS to get that get whatever's in cached RAM uh, onto disk. That is that's an interesting thing because because that's the window you've got of um, danger time of of difficulty of you know losing that file so how how uh how long does that yellow flag stay out when you're uh when you're moving these files man now zfs has another option where you can offload that caching to a ssd as well that would be fine because after another boot it would probably remember it needed to move it from that cache to the to the actual cold well not cold storage but you know slower storage i'm not sure how many if people still use that that was that was a popular option years ago. Oh, when... yeah, because uh, Nimble, I think Nimble came out with it first, where they had uh, front-end storage with SSD and then back-end storage yeah. with spinning disks, and it was blazingly fast. Uh, but Seemingly blazingly yeah. fast. Well, I mean, yeah, well that's the thing, thing, though. Like when, when your cache is disk, when you can pull the plug and the data doesn't go anywhere, then it is actually that fast. It's yeah. moving it to that slower storage that didn't happen, that would happen after a reboot, that you're really not going to have to worry about it. You don't lose anything in a situation like that. But RAM, on the other hand, using that as your cache, that puts you in a um, a situation. Not a scary one, not a bad one. Just if something were to happen with that data still on RAM, that particular bit of data is gone now, and you'd have to redo. And I hope you have those files on hand. You have to redo that transfer after you bring that machine back up. Yeah, and you're right. It's worth considering. Um, to make sure, I don't know, make your backups, test your backups, uh, test your, test your rights. I don't know. This is why I like flat file systems. This is why I like the way that, uh, Nextcloud in snap is handled. So my problem with snap on, with the Nextcloud is that it's not a straightforward process to choose a drive other than 
the one the snap is. Oh, it's straightforward on. if you go to leochavez.org and find the way that I set it up because I set it up. Okay, on so you did like discs. what, like a like a uh, uh, alias or whatever, or a bind mount. That's what I was looking for. Or did you it's just, just a regular old disc mounted where I, mounted in slash Nextcloud? Okay. Yeah, not. I mean, nothing special. I keep my stuff as simple as possible because I don't want to be a full-on admin at home. I want the stuff that I want to self-host, but I do not want to be tinkering with it or having too much time uh, and trouble setting it up in the first place. Just simply because I don't want to deal with it. I'm I'm bad at. Um, you know, I have a hardware upgrade that's been waiting on me for about eight months just because. Eh, I'll get to it. Yeah, I'll get to it. But you know, and it and it goes the same way for software. I don't want to have to fiddle with it very much. And if I do, then I'll probably try and find another way to do it. Um, so Nextcloud and Snap, uh, I mean, requires maybe about six total commands to get it done. They're yeah. all documented on, on my website. And uh, it shows you how to set up a disk, a RAID, a whatever. All you really need is a, a mount point to point the Snap at, and it'll store it there but the cool thing about it is that you do not need a database here's why i didn't want to run nextcloud myself i did not want to have to do database administration to be able to pull files out whenever something goes wrong the cool thing about the way that i have it set up and the way that snap stores its files is that it is just flat so you can go to as root in slash nextcloud and see every single file that is immensely useful to me because if I, for some reason, I don't know why, but uh, I just needed to SSHFS into that Nextcloud machine and pull a file, I could. I don't have to do SSHF, or I don't have to do SSH and then use all kinds of crazy uh, database tools. I say crazy. They're not that crazy. You just have to learn them. Uh, a bunch of database tools to pull out a file. I don't want that. And so snap it is, man. It's just simpler. So you're using like a simpler, I assume you're using like a simpler type of database. There is no it? database. It's uh, I, None. It, no, because uh, what Nextcloud does is it stores its files in a database. And I'm telling yeah. you, my files are just in the file system. No database. So does that hold up well when you're, when you're using that instance to collaborate with other people? Well, does it hold up? I, I don't do that. This is more for me. This is so okay. that, I mean, I use the Notes app. So... Um, but I don't collaborate. Uh, it's it is it is Google Drive for me as only the storage. Not I don't use Word or any of that stuff. I like Markdown, and that works best in Nextcloud Notes. So I just use that if I need to write anything down. So collaboration that I never covered that because I don't use that. Right. That's that's the thing I was thinking about because I I considered the no data no database route too because I wanted my first thought was I wanted to create something that was portable if i had to mm -hmm. if the whole thing you know whole, went whole to pot point. i needed to move it but then you know I, I would have given up it would have really been tough to get the other guys to use it because when you've got several people connected to it, it but but from what i read it's just not the best option so I, I can see that the, the again because i try to keep it simple the simple solution is use hedgedoc I mean, it's not that hard to learn Markdown. And even if you don't know Markdown, HedgeDoc provides you with the uh, that um, that trail of icons across the top where it's bold, italic, add a link, um, do, do tables, add bullet points, all that stuff. So it's not like you have to even learn the Markdown to use HedgeDoc. And it's super lightweight. 
runs very easily in Docker, responds well to reverse proxies. I, I don't, uh, it is the simpler solution. And um, yeah, it's just a simpler solution. I For collaborative docs, that is. We'll see how, we'll see how the future goes. Right now, I'm trying to just make other people happy, I think. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, see, you got to uh, make you happy, Bill. You're the admin. You get to choose. That's the thing. Uh, they have to conform. You get to choose, or I, they can set it up themselves. I, I was really surprised I was able to come on the show and then bully everybody to stop using Google like I did. Yeah. That was, <laughs> and uh, it worked. Th- that, was, that was something <laughs> while I was on the show that I really wanted to do, but... um yeah, man. Especially toward the end, I just didn't have the time uh, to Oof. to even consider self hosting or anything like that. Self hosting uh, the well, search engine would be another deep rabbit hole. Yeah, it would. <laughs> yeah, it would. Um, I get okay. So to finish off the the list, uh, let me see. I've got uh, an Ubuntu box that runs a small Ubuntu box, like one gig, one CPU kind of Ubuntu box. Um, VM in this case, uh, running what do you call that? The Unify controller thing for my um, Unify access points. Uh, I've got another one that only runs WireGuard because I'm a security nerd and I will not double up any service with uh, a VPN. Absolutely not. Um, That is against the rules. So uh, another small machine just running um, WireGuard and then uh, I've got a full desktop with Ubuntu Mate um, just just in case I need to be able to remote into my network and have a full desktop so that I can do something here locally. Um, I have that. Uh, and all that, those three things are all running on ESXi. Um, man, I love me some KVM. I love the the availability of cockpit to be able to control it. But mm, there's not much that's going to actually beat in user-facing utility tools with a GUI. Uh, you're really going to have a hard time beating ESXi all day. Um, so that's all on one box. That's the one that's waiting to be replaced for eight months, by the way. I have a smaller, more efficient box that has more storage and faster storage. Um, but I'm just lazy. I've got a cockpit running all over the place here, too. Cockpit's and I, fantastic. But and it, it's, it expects, I don't know, it's written for Red Hat. It expects Network Manager to be running. Now, why are you not running appear- Network Manager, Bill? Come on. Well, because I'm running Ubuntu Server, and Ubuntu Server uses NetPlan. Oh, sure enough. Yeah, that's right. And... Um, the pies are just using ResolveConf or so. Then uh, do it backwards. What you do is install the desktop on whatever you're running, and then uninstall the desktop. So the desktop always comes with Network Manager, but the server, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, yeah, installs with NetPlan. Which I, I don't think is. I tried that with Ubuntu and remove GNOME. Basically, put everything that's uh, that's GUI related mm-hmm. and. Because I wanted to see if I could install another desktop, in this case XFC on Ubuntu, and not Ubuntu XFC, regular Ubuntu. And for some reason, it always tried to pull back the GNOME desktop as a dependency. That was weird. Mm. I've had mixed results yeah. for sure. <laughs> You're gonna have to use the app tooling to figure out what's what's bringing that yeah. back in and uh, yeah, get rid of it. Is there or no or break to... break the requirement? I guess. Is there a no way to select Network Manager on Ubuntu Server? I'm sure there is. I mean, well, you could you could install it and disable the service for NetPlan. Yeah, I don't remember if uh, surely NetPlan's a service, right? Um, yeah, I don't I don't know, but because because you don't really mess with it that way. Um, it you there are NetPlan commands to do what you want to do, so I never even considered mm-hmm. whether it was a systemd service or or not. Network I just assume is, everything's a systemd service, and Network it probably Manager is. is a, Network Manager is a lot better than I. I first thought because 
when I first learned about it, it seemed a little, well, I will use the word bloated because I didn't know better. But now I even discovered things like it can, uh, you can give Network Manager a WireGuard config file and it will set up an interface from that. Yep. So Network Manager has native WireGuard uh, capabilities even. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's good stuff. Yeah. Whenever I install, I usually go with Debian, a default Debian for server stuff. And I always just install Network Manager and then the NMTUI. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I love I NMTUI. Just, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's great. I got a couple other things running. Uh, Pi4 is running a uh, fresh RSS. So this is how I get the news. This is how I, uh, uh, anything I put into any, like, any of the chat channels or whatever. All that news comes from there. Um, and that is fantastic. That's in Docker. Um, and I've got another, a Raspberry Pi 2 that I just set up running sync things so that I can uh, push and pull files from uh, Dan for Linux user space. Um, and the Pi 2 is bound by its 100 meg uh, Ethernet port, which means uh, with the overhead, I'm getting maybe like 8 megabytes a second, which is, eh, it's not too bad. It's not terrible, I guess. That little yeah, depending on what you're sending through it. You know? Well, I don't, I don't need it immediately. Um, so a, um, a, a speed like that is fine because, uh, we'll put those files in, it'll check overnight and then I'll have the files the next day, which is, that's fast enough. I don't need it necessarily faster than that. It's when I'm pulling the files off to use locally. That's, uh, that's where I'm tapping my foot sometimes. So I'll just pull all the files at once and then just walk away for a bit and then mm. come back. I don't know if it's worth putting it on my Pi 3. Um, it's all set up, ready for Docker and everything. Uh, oh, and by the way, sync things in Docker. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if I need that. But I have one if I if I need to move that up, and then I'll use that Pi two for something else. I I've got a plan. As soon as I can get my hands on a Pi four for less than two hundred bucks, I'm going to build a uh, backup server because I do have backup solutions for all this stuff. It just right now what I use is kind of a cold storage option because I've got a uh, external twelve terabyte. Uh, Seagate drive that I can just plug into USB and then do a, a ZFS send receive and that's like the preferred way of backing up but what I want to do is set up a separate server that uh, really doesn't do much internet facing stuff it just is there to receive like I'm going to use uh, uh, Syncoid Sanoid and Syncoid to create snapshots and then back those up to that backup server because I've got external drives that I can use for both of these to uh, one, one smaller one to back up the next cloud and then one bigger one to back up all the uh, jellyfin stuff. Because uh, right now I have to go grab the thing off the shelf, take it over here, plug it in and then run the backup. And I tell myself I do that once a month, but it, in reality, it's probably if, if you did it once a month, that's the way to do it. Um, yeah. you're not meant to have those backup drives attached all the time. No. <laughs> They're supposed to be no. in like uh, a different room at least, but maybe in like yeah. a fireproof safe or maybe off site. But yeah, you know, I mean, this is, this is home labbing, uh, or, um, uh, self, self hosting, not necessarily enterprise level stuff, but it is good to unplug it once in a while. It, that's really, that was my go-to method for a lot of years because, in my opinion, it is when things are plugged in and and it's exposed. Well, especially if it's exposed to the internet and all the script kitties get a hold of it. You know that if it's cold storage, if it's not plugged in, you're like 
light years more safe and with your backup. Th this is exactly why um, I don't use a reverse proxy or uh, expose anything directly from myself other than the uh, the WireGuard port. That's it. Um, everything yeah. is internal only. I WireGuard in, uh, and the firewall has very specific rules that uh, identify my hardware. So even if you were somehow to be able to um, uh, get a hold of my key, there's information there that wouldn't be present in the key that um, would still not would still disallow you from uh, connecting to the internal network, which is really kind of nice. Um, anyway, so from there, it's like uh, if I'm away anyway, um, all I got to do is just the same thing I would do if I was sitting on my couch, uh, access all my stuff that way. Um, it seems to me to be the safest option, uh, but I kind of want to do tail scale now. Uh, still yeah, wired. I, I was try going that. to mention that. Yeah. I, yeah. I also yeah. did that. <clears throat> but also another thing, I mean, it's just... Uh, I've been wanting to do tail scale for a long time. Uh, but again, remember, eight months, uh, it's still waiting on me. And so, <laughs> right, like it's all set up. It's all ready to go. I have backups of it. It's, 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 I mean, easy as pie to get it all set back up. I mean, it would probably take me 30 minutes total if, the, uh, if that VM blew up and I didn't have any backups. It would um, take maybe 10 minutes. The install would be longer than, than the configuration would be. Uh, I could definitely say that. But um, yeah, it's just hard. Once it's set up and it's working, and all I have to do is flip a switch on the device that I'm on, it's kind of hard to just say, ah, no, let's throw that away and set it all up again from scratch. I've had the same the same wire guard running on this thing for you. Yeah. I probably ought to generate a new key, but I mean, in reality, how insecure is it really? Yeah, but uh, uh, my, my wire guard has been running. Uh, I know how old it is because I installed it uh, because I was giddy about getting Ubuntu 20.04 when that came out. I was yeah. giddy about getting it all up. Uh, because I think that was the first kernel that had WireGuard built in, uh, in yeah. Ubuntu, Ubuntu LTS. So I was like, "Heck yeah, let's uh, let's enjoy the speed." And man, it is fast. Uh, it it blows the yeah. pants off of OpenVPN all day. But um, yeah, I tether my laptop to my phone, and then a, a WG quick command, mm. and then the the SSH uh, experience, even on the road in the middle of nowhere, is as though I'm sitting here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Two feet from this stuff. It's fantastic. Yep. I love it, man. I love the VPN, and I love not having to uh, expose stuff. But, um, you know, that, that comes at the cost of I couldn't collaborate with somebody if I wanted to that way. Um, otherwise, I'd have to really set up some, like, VLANs or something like that, put that server on the VLAN, and then let people mm -hmm. WireGuard into that network. Uh, so again, eight months. It's too much work. <laughs> <laughs> so I could just... Watch this space, folks. Maybe so one day, just, yeah. Uh, so I could just set up TailScale, which is, as far as I know, a peer-to-peer -peer VPN, and then not have to yeah. worry about uh, opening any ports. I could just put mm -hmm. my server, my laptop, and my phone on the uh, that net, uh, VPN and just mm -hmm. use... Huh, interesting. Yeah, uh, there well, was a service like it long time ago. I think it was like early 90s, or late 90s, early 2000s, called Hamachi. I used and, Hamachi. I and used you, it for uh, Minecraft servers. Yeah, yeah. Most people that I knew used it for gaming, but it had, um, I mean, it had a huge leg up against every other remote type uh, connection, um, just simply because it'll it creates a whole new network, puts all of the devices that you install it on on that network, and those devices, only those devices, would be able to intercommunicate. So, uh, and that's just. The same idea, but with WireGuard encrypting it all is what TailScale is, which is 
fantastic because I love me some WireGuard. And it's log me in Hamachi, right? Uh, At least it was log a log me in product when I used it. Well, it, I I think it was independent, and then log me in bought it. Yeah, yeah. I just remember that log me in was founded in Hungary, so it's a, it's a Hungarian ah, company. That's cool, why I, cool. Uh, that's why I, I remember that. And my thoughts has my thoughts have been racing listening to all of this because I just I'm trying to figure out still how to make best the best use of my hardware. This oh, little... see, the way that you figure this out is that you do it wrong five times yeah, yeah and, then, and then you get yeah, really upset that's, about it that's a given yeah yeah you are going to do it wrong several times so when you do it yeah. wrong uh you'll figure out those things that you don't want to do again and then you still yeah. start making a checklist and then when you're <laughs> done with all of that checklist and you you figure out all the things that you hate you then create another configuration that avoids every single one of those things. Yeah. You feel like you're learning how to use a computer all over it again is, because it is. it's a completely different world. Even if, but I mean, learning Linux was also an experience of learning how to use a computer again. And when yeah. trying to use Linux, install it uh, in a headless uh, TTY system, that's also like learning things all over again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This little I've, Intel I've... mini PC has four full-size USB 3 ports, and it has one, even though it's a, this model came out in 2016, I want to say, it has one Thunderbolt-capable Type-C port, and I really want to figure out how to make best use of that particular port. Because mm. yep. I was thinking I, I could, because it has, like, counting that it has five ports, so I could just hook up a bunch of my external hard drives to it. But because of, it has the Thunderbolt port, Thunderbolt port. I don't even have anything that's Thunderbolt capable as far as drives come. I was thinking maybe I, I could like buy one of those uh, uh, rates uh, where it's, uh, it's it's running its own software in one of those dumb raids. When you just put oh, two... Oh, like the you put, Synology yeah, or no, whatever? Yeah, not Synology. I'm not sure. I don't remember the brand. Uh, yeah, if you don't want to set up a NAS, you buy a Synology. Uh because it's dead simple and probably one of the best products you can get your hands on if you don't want to deal with it. Real popular, yeah. It's it real just, popular for a reason. People using ButterFS don't even know they're using ButterFS. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? I mean, but uh, on be, top of that, uh, the Drobos and all the others are kind of not as good, so. Yeah. I'll be interested to see your if you guys try wire or uh, tail scale. Because I am kind of halfway interested in that as a concept. I'm wondering how much you could run on that as opposed to poking holes and and uh, doing things the old-fashioned way. I want to say that there's a way to still continue to do Let's Encrypt over that. Um, I don't really remember how, though. I never looked into it because um, it's not something that I need for my network. Yeah. Okay, I found, uh, but anyway. I found the brand I was looking at. It's the Raid Sonic. And they have these very cheap uh, raids. I, as far as I know, it you just put two drives in it, you turn it on, it puts them in raid, and what you see when you connect. Oh, it's a hardware so, yeah, raid controller. It's basically controller. like a hard drive enclosure, but a bit smarter in a way. Yeah. When you can put two drives in it, in it, and it mirrors them. But then I was thinking, well, I don't really want to do raid specifically. So, but I'm not even sure if I need the speeds of the Thunderbolt uh, port. Mm. I doubt it. I thought of, you're, you're, yeah. you're probably not because um, you're going to be bound by the one gig at yeah. best, the one gig network card. So, yeah. and you don't, you don't need Thunderbolt for that. I mean, we're talking that's multiple gigabits per second of throughput. 
and you're still bottlenecked by your Ethernet. Oh, I so. haven't even told you about my janky temporary setup where you notice that there's nothing but the power cable because right now I have the the server connected via Wi-Fi as until I can figure out uh, oh, way yeah. to, to use LAN. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think down the line I might end up uh, maybe getting a separate modem, separate router for them. Maybe mm-hmm. that would also... Uh, so they can be out of my hair, so to speak. Yeah, I I, I named. Uh, I like to name. I I wanted to ask. I I asked on Mincast a while back uh, how you name your system host names. Do you have any particular fun names for the, your servers? Aztec gods. Ah, my my name abbreviated the operating system, the machine. Yeah. Nah, but, so uh, like this machine. No, no, is... no. My 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 machines are not cattle. They are pets, a hundred percent. I'd say mine are pets, but I don't call them by their host name. That's the name that they call each other, really. Oh no, because uh, I, I have to type it in, right? Like so to get to Nextcloud, I have to type in a host name uh, to get to um, really anything, right? And then uh, same with WireGuard. Um, I don't use IP addresses. So the cool thing about that, though, is that I don't either. I use three. I I put the alias or whatever they call it in the config yeah, file. Yeah, 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 yeah. SSHMNT, SSH, SRV, SSH, OTC. Ah, okay. Uh, I have and everything in my host file, so I can just say not SSH, SSH my name at IP address. Yeah, that'll Norbert. Norbert. Your yeah. next job is going to stop, is going to be stop using the host file okay. because your, your laptop or whatever, and then your phone or whatever, and then if you add a third device, those won't know because you'll have to configure a separate host file for each device. Instead, yeah. Yeah. leverage DNS so that mm. you can finally be part of the joke. If you have a problem, <laughs> it's yeah. always DNS, always DNS. That came from... It is always DNS, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, especially in, uh, when you're using directory services. Oh, no, it's... Whatever problem you're having, it doesn't even seem it's, like DNS. I oh, promise, it's, it's definitely DNS. Definitely DNS. Yeah. It is always DNS. Always. So yeah. yeah, but but it simplifies your life, Norbert, because you can use one name on any device on your network that's pointing to that DNS server, which you yeah. know you'll set that up at the router, and uh, so everybody will be pointing at the same one, um, and then forward everything out to the internet, right? Cloudflare, Google, however you do your DNS outside of that, uh, forward after that. And I have to learn a lot. Yeah, you do. I have to learn a lot. That's that's yeah. what's so One... <laughs> beautiful about self-hosting stuff is that you you learn so much when you're doing it, but the fact that it's fun means that the learning is fun too. Yeah. We got to get out of here. Um I Fine. maybe we should yeah, maybe we should make this a series because I feel like I feel like it'll be fun to bear witness fun to too. I'm not nor- going to compile my own packages. What are you talking I about? I have I have the objections uh, to being a series. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it'd be it fun to watch. Also incentivize incentivize me to learn more. You can. Well, we yeah, could then, that's what I mean. We can. We could call the show kind of, self-hosted. Oh wait, wait, yeah, yeah that's a podcast that I've too. been putting off listening to for so long because I I, I was so adamant on well, I don't really want to self-host anything. Anything. If I ever want to have a next cloud, I will just go to a one of those uh, cloud real, providers like you know. Like, and I was like, well. Ooh. Self-hosting, must, self-hosting can be fun, so why not do that? And now I, I wouldn't have this... do Nextcloud on Linode. That, that gets expensive. Might cost you. Oh wait, wait, Linode? <laughs> you don't mean Linode? You mean Akamai now? Yeah, yeah, Akamai. It's still Linode.com for a while. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, it takes a little Nobody's while. Nobody's going to be able to say Akamai. No, I mean, that that would be like corporate suicide. Oh, no. Oh, no. I mean, no one can say I, Linode, Linode, Linode. Uh, no, but nobody knows that either, man. Speaking of pronunciation, rolls right off of my tongue. I had to look up, right? Linode. I had to look up during the show how I'm supposed to pronounce the host name for my server because uh, can I just quickly rant about the absolute state of pronunciation? Bill's out of, of time. Bill's out of time. You got to save it for part two quickly. of the series. Yeah. <laughs> pronunciation of Watch Latin this space, names folks. is what I'm trying to I get gotta to. I got to retool all this stuff. It was. <laughs> I got to go my, record uh, another show. I've been podcasting all day. Another time. <laughs> Well, yeah, I think it'll be fun to uh, bear witness to your Again, with the learning fun adventure. I, I can't. It would also be fun <laughs> as well to also I, have I just, fun. I just don't want the listeners to confuse your fun too with Gentoo's fun too. And, you know, I just, it's got to be clear. <laughs> well, you got to reach deep, find somebody that's going to. Okay, you said TCP more than once this episode. <laughs> Let's, we're reaching deep already. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, you know what? We got a lot more to talk about, so we'll be back in two weeks. Uh, I'll shoot. Um, email the show, uh, linuxotc at uh, p- proton.me. Just go uh, to the website, right? Just go to the just website. Go to the website. It's all there. That's, Linuxotc.org, you know, right? Org? That's it. Yeah. Hey, good. Good. I got it right. That's probably good that I know the website. Yeah, and that's only because .org was $2 cheaper than .com. Got it. That org is a lot more classy when it comes to open source. Yeah, and I, there is that kind of weird sort of nonprofit thing that goes along with that, I guess. But anyway, we will see you all in two weeks. Uh, until then, I'm Bill. I'm Norbert. And I'm Leo. See you, folks. <laughs> <laughs>